Sunward Sky, episode 2.2. Regroup. The world swam into vision, slowly. The nightmare sound of a klaxon had invaded the unconscious miasma of her dreams. Elise became aware of the lighting in the room. Infrared, dull, casting just enough light to capture the edges of the joinery. Enough to navigate around, but not, to, not enough to get any work done. She tried to sit up in the gloom, but was held back. A pressure and a crisp pain hit her across the chest, breathing too deeply hurt. She panicked and initially tried to pull further away from the pain, but she was still held back. She thrashed around in the gloom for a few seconds before her mind caught up with her body and she could tell what was holding her down. It was her safety harness. The straps holding her chest into place on the bed had been fastened firmly and were stopping her from sitting up properly, and the pain was caused by either a bruised or a fractured rib. Her mind was still fuzzy after waking up, but it was quickly coming too. The ship was clearly spinning again, there was something off about its movement. The normally even press of the barrel's artificial gravity was modulating at a rhythm, pressing more heavily for a few seconds before abating to something a bit less than the level should usually associate with her travel through space. The effect was similar to that of sitting in a wavy ocean, or the feeling of an elevator descending quickly before decelerating at the right floor. Her chest stabbed with pain as she reached to release the safety harness. Unclipping it, she gingerly prodded at the base of her ribs. There was a spongy sensation of give to her ribs and sternum, and a spike of pain shot through her. Not good, she thought. It probably meant that at least one of her ribs had been fractured in the impact of the crash. She'd have to head to the med bay and get Healy to have a look at it. He had all sorts of stuff in his bag of tricks. He'd be able to help her out. Healy, she thought. Healy's rough voice had been the one she'd heard over the ship PA, crackling and broken. Using the short band in-ship transmitter that had told her the rest of the ship's systems had been shut off. She didn't know what had happened in the last few hours before the project was supposed to finish, but clearly it hadn't happened. Somebody must have figured out what was going on, and for whatever reason Healy had turned heel and done something to help the Terrans and stop the three years of work he'd helped every step of the way. The bastard. He'd always been that little bit too soft. Whenever the Blackout team had convened, his voice had often sung the loudest in protest of one thing or another. Their plan to plunge the planet into a telecommunications darkness it was always something that had seemed to stick in his craw. Something about it being too extreme. It was just soft. This was a problem the Terrans who ran everything had known about for years, but they were perfectly happy for their servants to suffer and get sick and die in space with no recourse for their return to the planet. Screw that. Her and her crew had managed to do a lot more than anyone would expect from such a small operation. They had a few allies on the ground. Doomsday types who lived in bunkers full of non-perishables and weaponry. But most of what they'd done had been achieved through plain old subterfuge. The biggest breakthrough had been the Scarabs. They'd struggled for a long time with how to override the programming of the satellites, but Clark had connections to a manufacturing plant and enough chutzpah to bluff his way into a contract with them. It wasn't likely the factory even know, knew what they'd been building. From there, it was just logistics. Getting it to the launch crater, and then swapping it onto the sunward sky in lieu of some other piece of cargo. It wasn't too hard. Most people shifting goods didn't care to look too hard. You gave someone a clipboard and a high visibility vest and you rarely got questions. Clark, she thought. She'd have to find him. 
If Healy had turned from the cause, then there was nothing to be done but space him. Throw him out the airlock. But the big man was much stronger than she was, and she'd need help to deal with him. She'd need to rally the other members of Blackout. With a groan and a hand pressed to her chest, she pulled herself off the bed and reached for the light panel. The LEDs flickered, then gutted out, and her eyes took another few seconds to readjust to the infrared darkness. She stood up off the bed, wincing as the rhythmic changes in gravity pushed her injured ribs repeatedly. She stepped out to the door and was met with the destruction in the hallway. The door of one of the other cabins lay open, swinging with an almost rusty sounding creak in the strange heavy grating gravity of the ship. The lights were gone and the place was nearly silent. As she walked, she heard the padding sounds of someone else's footsteps echoing down the hall and ducked into the nearest room before whoever it was turned down into the hallway to the crew quarters. She held her breath, biting against the pain. If it was someone from Blackout, all the better but she didn't want to be seen by anyone else until she knew what was going on. The footsteps grew louder, and she slid further back into the cabin. Whoever belonged to the cabin wasn't there, and good job too. They hadn't done a good job of securing their gear before the crash. Small personal effects littered the floor, and the open cupboards were a kaleidoscope of ruined belongings. A tag on a backpack read M. Holding. She didn't recognise the, uh, the name. Probably some Terran wannabe. She turned back around just in time to see Brett pass the door. Elise hissed his name, and he turned around and faced her. Elise! He dashed into the room and enveloped her in a hug, and she gasped again in pain. What is it? Are you hurt? She grimaced. Yeah. Need to go to the med bay. But we need to figure out where everyone else is first. What the fuck happened? Brett shrugged. I don't know. The last I saw of any was when we were fighting those two girls off and you stuck them with sedatives. There wasn't anyone else that went down there for a couple of days. Then the next thing I know is Healy's telling us to strap in for an impact. I have no idea what's going on. Elise thought back. The last she'd seen of Healy was when she'd been looking after the two drug girls in the medical bay. All he'd needed to do was administer the sedatives to them until after the satellite had been scrambled. Clearly something had happened after she'd left him to his charges. Maybe he hadn't switched. Maybe he'd been coerced. Though it seemed unlikely that even both Isa and Elisa teamed up would be able to take down the big man. That wasn't likely then. I think Healy isn't with us anymore, Elise said. Brett barely registered surprise, not much more than a slight raising of the eyebrow. Right. We're going to have to get the rest of us together. Are we able to communicate? Elise shrugged, then winced. Maybe. My shortwave isn't with me. Do you have yours? Brett pulled the radio from his breast pocket and switched the frequency from shipwide communications to the channel that Blackout had been using to communicate on the ship. They never spoke plainly about the plan on an open communication, but it was common enough for work teams or workmates to use their own shortwave frequencies informally. Brett tried to hail anyone who might be listening, but didn't get any response. The chirp of the radio's static echoed down the ruins of the spacecraft's hallways, and then the two of them sat in silence as they waited. Looks like we're going to have to find them ourselves, Brett said after a few seconds. Elise nodded. First, let's get to the med bay. More aft, War coughed, and a glob of spit and blood came out of her mouth. Her left side hurt like hell whenever she breathed, 
and she was holding her arm against it as she shifted herself up the passageway with its lilting, broken gravity. She had been trying to make her way forward to the bridge for some time after she'd woken up and found the gravity pressing her into the wrong section of the room, but she'd reconsidered when the ship began to ride itself. One of the nav specialists, or Capron Sharma, or some other crew member not involved in Blackout was likely to be in there, and she'd rather not disturb them while they got the ship corrected and on its way. The impact had been tremendous, and she wanted to assess the state of the ship. No sooner had she made the decision to head aft again, she had run into depressurized section of the ship and had to reroute through the galley in the mess. She stopped in at one of the crew meeting rooms to look out the side of the spacecraft to see what had happened to the opposite wing. What she'd seen there had chilled her. Each of the three wings had their own crews with different purposes and specialities. The main wing, where she was situated, was the one where the external works crew was kept. The people that looked after the actual repairs and maintenance requirements of the ship, the bridge, the main quarters and the technicians that prepared the missions and flight plans. They essentially were the repair crew. The other two wings held only skeleton crews of half a dozen to a dozen people, and their operations were concerned with what happened within the ship. One of the wings held the air, water and waste management facilities, including a full grey and black water recycler, while the third and final wing was largely a fuel reserve and maintenance wing. The entire ship was a very finely tuned piece of machinery, and despite its age, only one in a million things would go wrong in any given day. The problem was, the ship had roughly 60 million things that made it work. So for each day of the three-month flight, five dozen things were expected to go wrong. The wing that was equipped to deal with these five dozen things had been shorn off. Far from the looming expanse of black metal she expected to see when she gazed out the window, there was nothing but a colossal mess of rent steel and shattered formwork. The huge struts, hoses, walkways and conduit lines that had connected the wing to the ship were no longer the aging but finely engineered pieces they had been. Instead, they were a warped and congealed mess, shattered, stretched, and broken. The ship's systems had picked up that the sensors had broken they'd blocked all the valves that would allow gas or liquids to spray out, but the wreckage that had broken off and not been flung away with the satellite was slowly drifting out from where the wings should have been in a dark cloud of shrapnel. Holy shit, she thought. With that, She'd turned around again. As she headed aft, the intercom crackled to life. Meg's voice came through the comm. Attention all passengers. The spin of the sunward sky has been corrected and is being controlled through attitude thrusters. The shift in gravity you are feeling is a compensation for the ship weight that has been lost due to the recent collision. At this time, movement through the ship should only be attempted if necessary. Repeat. Only move through the ship where necessary. Greater crew movement will increase the likelihood of turbulent motion due to thruster correction. Please note that while the ship is now trimming straight, we are not on our planned flight course. We are currently in a slowly degrading orbit, and at this stage we are assessing options with the current fuel reserves available. Navigation will update with more information as it becomes available. War wiped her mouth on her sleeve and waited for sounds of disbelief or concern or terror to come from behind her in the crew quarters. Nothing. She finally saw idly wondering just how many people had been severely injured or had died in the collision, then put the thought out of her mind and staggered on. 
How are we going to stop a degrading orbit? Brett had asked after the communication on the ship had gone through. My guess? Either we jettison absolutely everything we have left in the cargo hold, or we don't stop it at all. Elise was wincing. What do you mean? Well, unless we can throw a lot of stuff off this ship, it's likely we're going to crash into the Earth, Elise replied. They continued to walk down the corridor in silence. They rounded this corner and could see the medbay door, and a small shape walked through it. They kept walking towards the room, but when they got to only a few feet away, a scuffling sound emanated from the doorway. A woman's voice cried out, and there was the thudding sound of fists on cloth. A series of clinks, like small pieces of hanging metal clanging together, rang out, and then silence again. They both froze. Brett indicated for Elise to fall in behind her, and he stepped cautiously down the corridor, covering the last few meters to the door. He leaned his back against the wall. Still silence. In a quick motion, Brett pivoted out and around the wall, moving just into the room and out of Elise's view. Stay there or I'll drop you too, a deep voice said. You, Brett breathed. Elise dashed forward and through the door. At the back of the room was war, blood and spit dribbling from her chin, splayed out on the floor with her head to one side. Her breathing was deep and regular, but the muscles on the left side of her body were spasming. Next to her, the carabiners on his uniform clinking softly, standing taller than both Brett and Elise, with a thunderous look on his face, stood Healy.